0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Tesla First Quarter 2021 results and Q&A website. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the presentation, there will be a question and answer session. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I will now hand the conference over to your speaker today, Martin Vieca, Senior Director of Investor Relations.
1: Uh, Thank you, Carmen, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Tesla's first quarter 2021 Q&A webcast. I'm joined today by Elon Musk, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q1 results were announced at about 1 p.m. Pacific time in the update deck we published at the same link as this webcast. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the question and answer portion of today's call, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please press star one now if you would like to join the question queue. But before we jump into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon.
2: Uh, Great, thank you. Q1 2021 was a record quarter on many levels. Uh, Tesla achieved uh, record production, deliveries, and surpassed a billion dollars in, non, in non-GAAP net income for the first time. Uh, and we've seen a real shift in customer perception of electric vehicles, uh, and our demand is the best we've, we've ever seen. So this is, to um, we're used to seeing a reduction in demand in the first quarter, uh, and we saw an increase in demand. Uh, this is... That, that exceeded the, the normal uh, seasonal uh, reduction in demand in Q1. Um, so um, Model 3 became the best-selling mid-sized premium sedan uh, in the world. In fact, I should say the, the best-selling uh, luxury sedan of any kind uh, in the world. The, the BMW 3 Series was for the longest time the best-selling premium sedan. Uh, it's been exceeded by the Tesla Model 3. And this is only three and a half years into production and with just two factories. Um, for Model 3 to be out, outselling its combustion engine competitors, I think this is quite remarkable. In the past couple of quarters, we delivered uh, roughly a quarter million Model 3s. So, uh, but which translates to an annualized rate of half a million per year. Uh, when it comes to, to Model Y, uh, we think Model Y will be the best selling car or vehicle of any kind in the world. Um, and probably next year. So, um, I'm not 100% certain next year, but I think it's it's quite likely. I'd say more likely than not that in 2022, Model Y is the best-selling car or truck of any kind in the world. Uh, Then, um, with regard to full self-driving, full self-driving beta continues to make uh, great progress. There's definitely one of the, I think one of the, the hardest technical problems that exists, uh, that's maybe ever existed. And, uh, really, in order to solve it, we, 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 basically need to solve a pretty significant part of, of artificial intelligence, uh, specifically real world artificial intelligence. Um, and that, that's, uh, that, that sort of AI, the neural nets need to be compressed into a fairly small computer, a very efficient computer that we've designed, but nonetheless, you know, a small computer that's using on the order of 70 or 80 watts. Um, so this is I mean, a much harder problem than if you were to use, say, you know, 10,000 computers in a, in a server room or something like that. Uh, this this has got to fit into a smaller brain, um, and uh, this. I think with with the elimination of radar, we're finally getting rid of one of the the last um, clutches. Radar was really uh, it 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 was making up for some of the shortfalls of vision, but this is not good. You actually just need vision to work, and when vision works, it works. It 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 works better than the best human. Um, It's like having eight cameras. It's like having eyes in the back of your head, the sides of your head, and Has three eyes at different focal distances, looking forward. Um, This is, yeah, um, and and processing it at a speed that is superhuman. There's no question in my mind that uh, with a pure vision solution, uh, we can make a car that is dramatically safer than uh, the average person. So, but but it is a hard problem because we are actually solving something quite fundamental about artificial intelligence. We're, we're, We're we basically have to solve real-world vision audio, AI, um, and we are so. Um, and key to solving this is also having just a massive data set. So, um, just having um, well over a million cars on the road uh, that, are, that are collecting data from uh, very sort of corner case, rare situations. Um, you know, sort of like a so many weird things in the world, like, like, like a, you know, a, a truck carrying a truck, uh, or, um, you know, a, um, a, a car with a, with a, one example is like a car, an actual example, a car with a kayak on the roof, where the kayak has a little, uh, a little weight dangling from the front of the kayak in front of the car. Um, and, and yet the car must ignore this uh, and just just look at the road. Um, so it, it's really quite quite tricky. Um, but I am I am highly confident that we will get this done. So yes, uh, this this quarter, and I think we'll continue to see that a, a little bit in Q two and Q uh, three. So Q Q one was was had some of the most difficult supply chain challenges that we've ever experienced in the life of Tesla. Um insane difficulties with uh, with supply chain uh, with with parts of, of, over the whole range of parts. Um obviously people have heard about the with the chip shortage. This is a this is a huge problem. Um but then you know in, in addition to that for, for example we we um uh we had quite a bit of difficulty scaling, scaling drive unit production in China, um, uh, because we were unable to get, uh, critical engineers there because of, of COVID quarantine restrictions. So, uh, which meant that Tesla worldwide was dependent on drive units, uh, made at our factory in Nevada, in Nevada. Um, so that, that was a very challenging situation. I think we're, mostly out of that particular problem but that's just those that was just two of, of many challenges so the t- team has really good done an incredible job dealing with uh, really severe supply chain shortages um, so let's so see with respect to the model S and X um, there, there were more challenges than expected in uh, developing the uh, plaid Model S, so what's called the, the, the Palladium program, um, which is the, the new version of Model S and X, which has a revised interior, um, and a new battery pack, and new drive units, uh, and new internal electronics, um, and, and has, for example, a, a PlayStation 5 level, uh, infotainment system, There um, there's just a, a lot of, a lot of issues encountered, um, Ensuring that the new battery was, as folks used saying, was quite hard. Because we're working more energy in a smaller case, uh, so it took quite a bit of uh, of uh, development to ensure that the battery of, of the new SX uh, is safe. Um, and, and we're trying to get get all the details in the car slowly. Uh, for the past few months, but we're, we're just stacking them up in the yard and, um, and, and, and just making refinements to the cars that we've built. Um, but we do expect, um, to ramp, uh, Model S production and start delivering them probably, uh, next month. Um, so, um, and, and then to be in sort of fairly high volume production for the S. In Q3, uh, and to start delivering Model X in Q3 as well. So um, I think as we as we ramp up, I think probably the demand for the new SX will be quite high.
3: Um,
2: so it should really just gonna be a question of ramping supply chain and internal production processes. So probably we're, we're like we're gonna aim to produce over 2,000 SX per week. Um, Perhaps you know if we get lucky, upwards of of 2,400 or Um, 2,500. This again is contingent on global supply chain issues, which are just a lot of factors outside of our control here. But but I I do think these things will get sold, so it's just a matter of time, and and then we'll be doing well over 2,000 SX per week. Um, It's it's a great car. It it actually costs us less to produce, a little bit less to produce, um, but it is a, a superior product. So, in conclusion, there's, there's a lot to be excited about in 2021 and 2022. Um, we're building factories as quickly, quickly as we can. Uh, both Texas and Berlin are, are progressing well, and um, we expect to have um, initial limited production from those factories this year, uh, and volume production from Texas and Berlin next year. Um, at the same time, we're we'll continuing to ramp production of Model Y in three Uh, In Shanghai. In the background, we're continuing work, development work on the semi, cyber truck, the roadster, and other products. Uh, Thanks uh, to everyone at Tesla who made this year a a huge success.
4: Uh, Now, on to questions.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, We have some remarks from Zachary Kirkhorn as well.
4: Okay. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Thanks, Elon. So, congratulations to the Tesla team on breaking multiple records in the first quarter of 21, as Elon had mentioned, which is typically the most difficult of the year for many reasons. To summarize the quarter, I think it's best understood by three key items. First, we successfully launched and began the ramp of Model Y in Shanghai, achieving positive gross margin in the first quarter of production and receiving a great reception from the market. Second, as Elon mentioned, although we began the production process for the Model S during the quarter, we had not yet begun customer deliveries. The reduction in Model S and X deliveries from Q4 to Q1 were a meaningful headwind to free cash flows and profit generation. For example, we incurred an estimated $200 million of direct p impact relating to this program in Q1, the majority of which is reflected in COGS, and that's before even considering the impact of lost revenue and profits as a result of the transition. And as, he mentioned, as Elon mentioned, we expect the first deliveries to begin shortly. Third, as we continue to work through the instability of the global supply chain, particularly around semiconductors and port capacities, while the Tesla team, in partnership with our suppliers, did tremendous work keeping our factories running, we did experience high expedite costs in the quarter, and they were also higher than they were in Q4, with some minor interruptions to production over the course of the quarter. We believe that this landscape is improving, but it does remain difficult and it's an evolving situation. If we double click uh, within net income, auto gross margin, excluding credits, improves sequentially and year over year. This is in spite of the cost mentions for SNX and Expedites and a reduction in global ASPs, as our cost structure as a company is reducing at an even faster pace. So as we look out over the course of the year, we feel optimistic about our gross margin strength, uh, particularly as some of these headwinds we're experiencing start to be resolved. On services and other margins, these have recovered and are trending towards profitability, aided by strength in the used car business, operational improvements in service, and additional service revenue opportunities that help absorb fixed overheads. On energy gross margins, these remained negative for a second quarter, This is driven by solar roof-related ramp costs and winter seasonality in the lease BPA business. Uh, We continue to manage through a multi-quarter backlog on Powerwall. We're working as fast as we can to increase production. And this will aid in profitability of this business as those volumes increase. Uh, On operating expenses, these increased for Q1, uh, which is driven by our investments in technology and growth. In particular, for R&D, this includes the structural battery pack and 4680 cells. Uh, investments in the new sNX and um, our neural net and silicon investments on the sGna side we're setting up infrastructure and support for both china and EMEA in anticipation of volume to come there and as i've said before our plans show that we remain on track for sustained industry-leading operating margins uh, double clicking on on cash flows we continue to generate positive free cash flows and this was despite the significant working capital headwinds from SNX. Additionally, we are making progress reducing various forms of debt. We also invested 1.5 billion in Bitcoin during the quarter, then trimmed our position by 10%, which contributed to a small gain in our Q1 financials. Taking a step back, we've generated 8 billion in operating cash flows and 4 billion in free cash flows over the past four quarters. As we look forward, uh, our plans remain unchanged for long-term growth of 50% annually, and we believe we're on track To exceed that this year as we guided to last quarter. Uh, Global demand remains meaningfully higher than production levels and so we're driving as as fast as we can to increase our production rates. As we think about Q2 and Q3, these quarters should largely be driven by execution on SNX as we've discussed, continued ramp of Model Y in Shanghai, and the associated cost reductions of these programs. Um, And we expect profitability and cash generation to evolve over the course of the year in line with those improvements. And then as we get towards the end of the year, our story will pivot towards the launch and ramp of our newest factories in Austin and Berlin. So there's certainly no shortage of exciting things for us to work on and look forward to. Uh, Thank you, and we'll open it up for questions.
1: Thank you very much. And we'll first take retail questions from, uh, say, website. The first question is, How is Dojo coming along? Could Dojo unlock an AWS-like business line for Tesla over the next few years?
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. So, you know, with with respect to Joe, sorry,
2: sorry, Zach, my apologies. I was on mute. <laughs>
4: oh, go ahead, Elon. Um,
2: so, um, yeah, I was just basically saying that uh, the it, although, like right now, people think of Tesla as electric, people think Tesla's a car company or perhaps an energy company. Um, I think long term, people will think of Tesla as much as an AI robotics company as we are a car company or an energy company. Um, I think we are developing one of the strongest hardware and software AI teams in the world. Um, Certainly, we we, appear to be be able to do uh, things with full self-driving that that others uh, cannot. So, um, and if you look at the evolution of of what technologies we developed, um, we developed them in order to solve the problem of self-driving, so we, we we couldn't find a powerful enough neural net inference a computer. So we designed and and built our own. Um, the the software out there was 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 uh, really quite primitive for this task. And so we built a team from scratch um, and um, and have been developing what we think is probably the most advanced real world uh, AI in the world. Um, and then it sort of makes sense that this is kind of what needs to happen because the, the road system is designed for a neural net computer, our brain. Our brain is a neural net computer. Uh, and it's designed, the, the entire road system is designed for vision with neural with a neural net computer, which is because it's designed for eyes and a brain. Um, and so if you have a system which has very good eyes, uh, you can see in all directions at once, you can see three focal points ahead, or forward, uh, but it never gets tired, it's never t- sort of texting, um, it has redundancy, um, and its reaction time is superhuman, then it seems pretty obvious that that such a system would achieve an extremely high level of safety bar in excess of the average person. So that's, that's what we're, what, what we're doing. Um, then Dojo is kind of the training part of that. So, um, because we're, we're, we have over a million cars and, you know, perhaps, you know, next year we'll have two million cars in active use, um, providing vast amounts of video training data that then needs to be digested by, by a very powerful training system. And currently, we use uh, it's Tesla training software. So we have a lot of, we developed a lot of training software, uh, a lot of uh, labeling software to do, um, so to do uh, surround video labeling, uh, which is quite tricky. Um, this means all eight cameras simultaneously, at 36 frames a second per camera, Labeling video over time, Um, there wasn't any tool that existed for this, so we developed our own labeling tool. Then, taking it a step further, obviously the you know the the holy grail is auto labeling. So now we're we're getting quite good at auto labeling, where we do we do where that the the trainers train the training system, um, and and then the system. Auto labels the the data, and and then the the label the human labels just need to look at the labeling to confirm that it is correct, and perhaps make edits. And then every time an edit is made, that further trains the system. So it's kind of like a flywheel that's just sort of spinning up. Um, And and really, the only way to do this is with vast amounts of video data. Um, So then we need to train this efficiently. So Dojo is really a Uh, It it is a supercomputer optimized for neural net training. Um, We think Sojo will be probably an order of magnitude more efficient on on say, I'm not sure what the exact right metric is, but say per frame of video. Uh, We think it'll be an order of magnitude more cost efficient in hardware and in uh, energy usage. A frame of video compared to a GPU-based solution, or compared to the next best solution that we're aware of. Um, so then, then you know, possibly that could be used by others. Um, it does seem as though over time, I mean, just as just a, an observation, I think basically just the fact that um, neural net-based computing or, you know, you know uh, AI-based computing is a more and more of the compute stack. Um, we, we, conventional computing computing perhaps heuristics uh uh based computing um, is still going to be important, still gonna be very important. Um, but uh, it will it, become but, but neural net will become a, a bigger and bigger portion of um, of compute. Uh so Anyway, um, that was a long story, but I think, yeah, probably others will want to use it, too, and we'll make it available.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, Let's go to the second question from uh, retail investors. Uh, The recent price changes on solar roof have been discouraging uh, for customers and investors. Could Tesla share more about solar roof challenges and and if uh, the outlook has has changed at all, uh, i.e. 1,000 roofs per week?
2: Yeah. First of all, I should say that the, the demand for the solar roof remains strong. So, despite uh, raising the price, the demand is still um, significantly in excess of our ability to uh, to meet the demand to to install the solar roofs. So, production is going fine, but but we are choked at the installation point. Um, we we did find that we we basically made some significant mistakes in. Uh, in assessing the difficulty of certain roofs, but the complexity of roofs varies dramatically. Some roofs are to be literally two or three times easier than other roofs. Um, so you just can't have a one-size-fits-all situation. Uh, if a roof has a lot of protuberances, um, or if the roof, or, or if the roof, uh, sort of uh, the core structure of the roof uh, is uh, is rotted out, or is not not strong enough to hold the solar roof, uh, then the the costs can be you know, two can be double sometimes three times uh, what we what our initial quotes were. Um, so in, in those cases, what we've obviously offered to do is to you know refund customers their deposit. Um, uh, and uh, but, but what we cannot do is is go and, and just lose a massive amount of money. Um, we, we just got to provide a refund of the of the deposit. Um, but but. That's what is um, I think most important about the solar situation, which I tweeted about you know, this past, past week, is that we're shifting the whole uh, the whole sort of solar situation, so the solar power, well, basically solar plus battery situation. To there's only one product, basically, or there's there's only one one configuration. Every house, we we, we will not sell a house solar without a power wall um this, that solar could either be solar retrofit you know with conventional panels put on a roof or it can be the tesla solar glass roof uh, but in all cases it will have the power wall to technically this is this is it's actually power wall two uh, plus if you will um the, the plus refers to a higher peak power capability um so uh, basically all power walls made since roughly november of last year uh, have, um a lot more peak power capability than, uh, ri- than, than, than the specification on the website. Um the, it, it, they have about twice the, the, the power capability, roughly. It depends on how you count power, but, uh, about twice the, about twice the, the, the peak power and about, you know, ugly twice the, the, the steady state power of, of the specification on the website. The energy is the same, but the power is, is roughly double. Um, and uh, all the installations, uh, so all installations will have the power wall, and the uh, the difficulty of the installation will will dramatically increase, or the, the difficulty of the, the the installation will will be will be much less. It'll be much easier because uh, the the power from the from the solar roof, solar glass roof, or the the solar panels will only ever go to, directly into the power wall. And the power wall will only ever go between the utility mains, or between the utility and, the, and the, the main power panel of the, of the house. Uh, which means you never need to touch the main circuit breakers of the house. You never need to touch the house circuit breakers. Effectively, almost every house therefore looks the same electrically instead of being a unique work of art and requiring uh, exceptional um, ability to rewire the main panel so uh, th- th- this is extremely important for scalability it's the, it's the only way to do it really um, and th- this also means that that every uh, solar power wall installation that the, the, the house or or whatever the case may be uh, will be, will be its own utility. And so even if all the lights go out in the neighborhood, you will still have power. So that, that gives people energy security. Um, and we can also, in working with the utilities, uh, use the power walls to, to stabilize the overall grid. So let's say that there's a, uh, like if there was in Texas, there was, there was a, a peak power event. And and that peak power demand, because the grid uh, lacked the ability to buffer the power, uh, they had to shut down power. The, the, there's no power, no power storage no, no good no good point of power storage. However, with a whole bunch of, of power walls at houses, um, we can actually buffer the, 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 the power. so if, so if if the grid needs more power, we can actually then um, with the consent obviously of the homeowner and the, and and in partnership with the utility, uh, we, we can then actually, uh, release power onto the grid to take care of, uh, peak power demands. So if effectively, the power walls can operate as a giant distributed utility. This is profound. I'm not sure how many people will actually understand this, but this is extremely profound and necessary because we are headed towards a world where, uh, as, as we were just talking about earlier, where people are moving towards electric vehicles, this will mean that the the power needs uh, in in at homes and businesses will increase significantly. We will that there will need to be a bunch more electricity coming somewhere. Um, in fact, if you go to full full renew- renewable electricity, we need about three times as much electricity as we currently have. It, it, so. Uh, these are rough numbers, but you roughly need twice, roughly need twice as much electricity if, if, if all transport goes electric, and then you need three times as much electricity if all heating goes electric. So basically, this is a prosperous future, I think mean, both for, for Tesla and for the utilities. Because, and, and in fact, and this will this will be very. If, if this is not done, the utilities will fail to serve their customers. They won't be able to do it. They won't be able to react faster. Um And we're going to see more and more of, of what we see, see in California and Texas, of of, of uh, people seeing brownouts and blackouts, and the utilities not being able to respond because the, because of the, there's a massive change going on with the transition to electric transport, and we're seeing more extreme weather events. This is a recipe for disaster. Uh, so it is very important uh, to have uh, solar and batteries at the at the local level at the house. Uh, in addition, it is important to have uh, large battery storage at the utility level, um, so that uh, solar and wind, which are the main forms of renewable electricity, uh, can be that electricity can be stored because sometimes the wind doesn't blow, um, sometimes it blows a lot. Uh, Sometimes it blows too much and sometimes it doesn't blow enough. Uh, But if you have a battery, you can store the energy and provide the energy to the grid as needed. The same goes for solar because obviously the sun does not shine at night uh, and sometimes it is very cloudy. And so uh, by having uh, battery storage paired with solar and wind, this is the long-term solution to a sustainable energy future. Um, And as I said, this really needs to occur both at the local level and at the utility level. if it doesn't occur at the, at the local level, what will actually be required is a, a massive increase in power lines, uh, in uh, power plants, so they have to put long distance, long distance and local power lines all over the place, they'll have to increase the size of the substations, uh, it's a nightmare. This must occur, there must be solar plus battery, it's the only way. So...
1: Thank you very much. Uh, And the next retail question is, Master of Coin, can you tell us anything about Tesla's future plans in digital currency space, or when any such major developments might be revealed?
4: Sure. Thanks, Martin. Um, So, as I noted in our opening remarks, and we've announced previously, so Tesla did um, invest 1.5 billion into Bitcoin in Q1 and then we subsequently sold a 10% stake in that. We also allow customers to make, uh, de- vehicle deposits and final vehicle uh, purchases using Bitcoin. And so where our, our Bitcoin story began, maybe just to share a little of the context here, um, Elon and I were looking for a place to store cash that wasn't being immediately used. Uh, try to get some level of return on this, but also preserve liquidity. You know, particularly as we look forward to the launch of Austin and Berlin and uncertainty that's happening with semiconductors and uh, port capacity, being able to access our cash very quickly is super important to us right now. And, you know, there, there aren't many traditional opportunities to do this, or at least that we found and in talking to others that we could get good feedback on, particularly with yields being so low, and without taking on additional risk or sacrificing liquidity and um, and Bitcoin seemed at the time and, and so far has proven to be uh, a good decision uh, a good place to place some of our cash that's not immediately being used for daily operations or or maybe not needed till the end of the year and um, be able to get some return on that. And you know i I think one of the key points that I want to make about our experiences in the digital currency space is that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic here. You know, we're certainly watching it very closely at Tesla, watching how the market develops, listening to what our customers are saying. But, you know, thinking about it from a corporate treasury perspective, we've been quite pleased with how much liquidity there is in, in the Bitcoin market. So our, our ability to build our first position happened very quickly. Uh, when we did the sale later in March, we also were able to execute on that very quickly. And so as we think about kind of global liquidity for the business and risk management, uh, being able to get cash in and out of the markets is something that I think is exceptionally important for us. So we do believe long-term in the value of Bitcoin, so it is our intent to hold what we have long-term and continue to accumulate Bitcoin from uh, transactions from our customers as they purchase vehicles. You know, specifically with respect to things we may do, there are are things that we're constantly discussing. We're not planning to make any announcements here. And we're watching this space closely. So when we're ready to make an announcement on this front, if there's one to come, you know, we'll certainly let you all know.
1: Thank you. Um, and the fourth question from uh, retail investors is, uh, does Tesla have any proactive plans to tackle mainstream media's imminent, massive, and uh, deceptive uh, clickbait headline uh, campaigns on safety of autopilot or FSD? Uh, perhaps specialty PR job of some sort? Uh,
5: well, uh, I can. I'll take this one, guys. From from the safety side, I continue to say, uh, say if you want to. He is driving yeah, point cool. go ahead Elon. i, know, I think if, if, if please go ahead
2: I uh, if it's special worth just uh, going through the facts of the uh what uh, i mean specifically there there were uh there was an article regarding um a, a tragedy where, where uh there was a high speed accident in, in tesla that uh and there was re- really just um extremely deceptive. Uh, media pra- practices where it was claimed to be autopilot, with this is completely false. Uh, and those journalists should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, please go ahead, Lars.
5: Yeah, thanks, Elon. So uh, I was just saying we're, we're committed to safety in all our designs and that's you know number one in what we do here. Um, regarding the crash in Houston specifically, we work directly with uh, the local authorities, NTSB and NITSO wherever applicable and whenever they reach out to us for help directly on the engineering level and whatever else we can support. Um, in that vein, we did a, a, a study with them uh, over the past week um, to understand what happened in that particular crash and what we've learned from that uh, effort was that Autosteer did not and could not engage on the road condition that, uh, as it was designed. Uh, our adaptive cruise control only engaged when a driver was buckled and above five miles per hour um, and it only accelerated to 30 miles per hour with the distance um, uh, before the car crashed. Um, as well, uh, adaptive cruise control disengaged the car slowly to complete to a stop uh, when the driver's seatbelt was unbuckled. Through further investigation of the vehicle and uh, accident remains, um, we inspected the car with NTSB and NHTSA and the local police and were able to find that the steering wheel was indeed deformed, so there must, leading to the likelihood that someone was in the dri- driver's seat at the time of the crash, and all seatbelts post-crash were found to be unbuckled. Um, we were unable to recover the data from the the, uh, data, uh, the SD card at the time of impact, but the local authorities are working on doing that, and we await their report. Um, as I said, we we continue to hold safety in a higher regard and and and, and um, look to improve our products in the future uh, through this kind of data and other uh, information from the field.
1: Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's go to the next question from Institutional Investors. Uh, the first question is, uh, proponents of alternative grid storage technologies claim that lithium-ion is unsuited for long-term storage at scale due to vampire drain. Could 4680 uh, cells address this limitation? Is the limitation even relevant <laughs> for charging the energy equation? Um, uh,
6: yeah. I, just let me yep. jump in on the vampire drain. Yeah. That's definitely not the issue. A uh, good uh, lithium-ion cell self-discharges less than 0.001% of its energy per day, so it, it has this vampire drain is maybe an oxymoron. <laughs> <I'm> no. Yeah. <laughs> as, as mythical as vampires.
5: Yeah.
6: <laughs> yeah. I think I think the challenge with seasonal storage is your value proposition drops from hundreds of useful. Full cycles per day, per year to less than maybe ten, or maybe even less than five cycles per year. Um, so it's just a different type of technology, you know, altogether that would make sense, given that it's more than an order of magnitude different use case. Yeah, I mean, we've got a long way to go before we're, we're
2: dealing with seasonal technology uh, issues, um, but but certainly a way to deal with seasonal technology. Uh, would be to um, have uh, wind and solar growing um, on the side of, of more more subtly latitudes, um, and and uh, but, but then across uh, a variety of longitudes. So essentially, like let's say in the U.S., for example, if there was, uh, you know, I'm not sure if people understand that You you can actually power the entire United States with just sort of a hundred, roughly a a hundred mile by hundred mile grid of solar. Um, th- sometimes people don't don't quite understand like well how much solar is needed to power the United States. Almost almost nothing of the of the required to power the United States. And this is true of, of almost a- any country in the world. Um, the solar incidence is a gigawatt per square kilometer. This is insane. Uh, in fact if you took the clear area, just the, the area uh, for, say, for nuclear power plants, the area that is considered not usable uh, because a nuclear power plant is there, in most cases, if you just put solar there, it would generate more power than, in, than the nuclear power plant. This is because they typically have pretty wide clear areas. Um, so uh, it really so. so and um, if you have, say, 25% efficient solar panels, um, and and then those are 80% efficient in, in how they're laid out. You're going to do about 200 megawatts per square kilometer. Uh, therefore, you know, five square kilometers is a gigawatt, which might be a typical sort of power plant. Um, it, it's really not much area at all. And a lot of places can have wind and solar in place. So, um, Anyway, it's entirely possible to power all of Earth with a small percentage of Earth's area. Um, and then to transmit that power, uh, through, um, high voltage DC lines, no new technology, no, no, uh, you don't need like, um, you know, room temperature superconductors. This is a total, another myth. Room temperature superconductors, uh, almost irrelevant in my opinion, almost irrelevant. <laughs> Um, low-cost, long-distance power lines using copper uh, or aluminum, or just, that very important. Um, so heating is I squared R. So that's current squared times time resistance. So as you increase voltage, uh, you can drop the current dramatically and drop the heating dramatically to the point where it is uh, of, of minor relevance. Like maybe you lose 5 to 7%, with a high-voltage DC power line, something like that. Um, so I want to be clear, no physics is necessary. No new materials necessary. We just need to scale this thing up. We have, The technology exists today to, to solve renewable energy. And sometimes people say, well, why don't we do it? That's because the energy basis of the Earth is gigantic, super, mega, insanely gigantic. So you can't just go and do a zillion terawatts overnight. You've got to build the the production capacity for the cells, uh, for the battery cells, for the solar cells. You've got to put that into vehicles. You've got to put that into stationary storage packs. You've got to put that into solar panels and solar glass roofs. And you've got to deploy all this thing, all all this stuff. But but it is certainly the case that we can accelerate this, um, and we should try to accelerate it. um, And uh, the, the, the right thing to do, I think, from an economic standpoint, and I think almost any economist would agree, is to have a carbon tax, um, just as we have a tax on, um, cigarettes and alcohol, uh, which we think are more likely to be bad than good, and we, we tend to tax fruit, fruit and vegetables less. Well, the same should be true. We should, we should tax energy that we think is probably bad, and support energy we think is probably good. Just like sugar and alcohol versus fruits and vegetables. Um, It's just common sense. Um, And, uh, you know, but I guess on the plus side, I'm not suggesting anyone be complacent, but sustainable energy, renewable energy will be solved. It is being solved, but it matters how fast we solve it. And if we solve it faster, that's better for the world. Thank you very much. And, uh, there's, 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 no, there's no question in my mind whatsoever that the energy storage problem can be solved with lithium-ion batteries. Zero. I want to be clear. Zero. Um, I, I think the bias will tend to be uh, towards um, iron-based uh, lithium-ion cells. When people say lithium, I people think lithium must be a, 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 a big constituent of the cells. It, it's, it's more like 1% to 2% of the cell is lithium. Um, the, the, the main part of the cell is the cathode. The, the main mass and cost in the cell is the cathode. For high-energy uh, cells, um, like for example, what we, what we use in most uh, most cells have, have nickel-based lithium-ion cells, which have higher energy density, longer range than iron-based cells. However, stationary storage, uh, the energy density is not as important because um, it's just sitting on the ground. And so, uh, I think the vast majority of stationary storage will be, uh, iron, iron-based, um, lithium-ion cells. With an iron cap, iron, uh, iron phosphate cathode, technically. But I think the phosphate part is unnecessary. It's really just iron or nickel. I' um, unnecessary in the terminology. I just, just think of it as iron or nickel. Uh, and this, there's an, an insane amount of iron in the world. Uh, more iron than we've could possibly use, uh, and there's also more lithium than we could possibly use. Basically, there is no shortage of anything whatsoever in iron phosphate lithium-ion cells.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, Let's go to the next question uh, from institutional investors, which is, uh, you've suggested that between a a 5x to 10x improvement is achievable in the automotive production versus the the first Model 3 line on the first uh, principles physics analysis. Uh, where does Berlin sit? Where does Berlin sit relative to that limit?
2: Oh, I, I think we're still we're still quite far away from it. Um, I mean, the, the, the thing to bear in mind with with production is, uh, for those who have ne- who've never done production, they just don't understand how insanely hard production is. Um, I, I, I want to really be very very emphatic here: prototypes. Are trivial they're child's play production is hard it is very hard now you say production at, at, at very at large scale with higher liability and low cost insanely difficult but what what Tesla achieved on the automotive side was not to create an electric car the the truly profound thing on the on the car side is that Tesla was the first American car company to achieve volume production of a car in a hundred years and not go bankrupt. So this is this, this, I basically myself and many others at Tesla had to basically have several aneurysms to get this done. It was, it was so hard to have no idea. So Anyway, and, and the thing about making a large complex manufactured object is, let's say you have sort of approximation 10,000 unique items. If even one of those items is slow. That sets your weight. Just one. Doesn't matter how, it can be tr- so trivial. We, we've had uh, production, production stuff because of carpet in the trunk. We have production stuff because of USB cable. At one point, for the Model the we literally raided every uh, electronics store in the Bay Area for, for for a few days. There, nobody could buy a USB cable in the Bay Area because we we, we went and bought them all to put them in the car, um, <laughs> literally. And there's there's like hundreds of stories like that. So anyway, that, that's the solving that those constraints and and a logistics problem that makes World War II look trivial. I'm not kidding, like the scale is insane. Um, You know, we're talking millions of cars, massive global supply chain, um, 50 countries, uh, dozens of regulatory regimes. Um, It's insane. (laughs) So,
1: Thank you. Uh, And the last question from institutional investor is, uh, Master Plan uh, Part 2 talks about an urban transport vehicle that is smaller than traditional bus with greater uh, aerial density achieved by removing the central aisle. Do you have any updates to share on this goal? Not this time. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so let's uh, move to analyst Q&A.
0: Thank you. First question is from Pierre Farrago. with New Street Research. Your line is open.
3: Uh, hi guys, thanks a lot for taking my question. Um, I'd love to get actually an update on what you, you presented on the battery day. Uh, in the last six, seven months, I, won't, I'm, I was wondering how much progress you've made. Uh, on that front, first, in terms of process development, so how are things coming together on your pilot line? Are you getting to the kind of uh, production throughput you were aiming for? And, and second, actually, on your production ramp. So I was wondering in, in which sites you're ramping production capacity for uh, the 4680 cell uh, and where you stand uh, on, uh, on ramping up that capacity as well. And I'll have a quick follow-up on energy as well, if that's possible. Well,
2: um so we're, we're, we have the uh and and, and quickly add to this, but uh we we have the, the the our small sort of pilot plant, which is still big by normal standards, expected to have like a ten gigawatt per year a gigawatt hour per year capability uh in um pretty much California. Um, and uh we've made quite a few cells. Um we're not we're not quite yet at the point where we think the cells are re- reliable enough to be shipped in cars, um, but we're getting close to that point. Um, and um, and then we've already uh, you know uh, ordered um, most of the equipment for battery production uh, in Berlin, uh, and uh, and then and, and then much of it for Austin as well. Um, so we're really down to like the nitty gritty elements. Um, but overall, I think we're still sort of quite optimistic about uh, this achieving volume production of the 4680 next year. Yeah.
6: Thank you, think? You. Okay. yeah thank you. Uh, just one thing I would add is there's been a lot of questions about uh, yields. Actually, I noticed people asking about that and, uh, you know, the yield progress has been really strong uh, every day. When we were really still in commissioning phase. Of, we were really still in commissioning phase with most of the tools, uh, to the point where we're confident that the yield trajectory aligns with our internal cost projections. Um, we did talk about yield also at Battery Day, which is one of the reasons why it's, it's useful to check in on that. Um, you know, it takes a while, as Elon just mentioned, to go from uh, prototype to production, and it's not just parts; it's processes, it's equipment. Um, but as we've matured, those the process, the process equipment we've we've gotten to where we need to be on on the yield side.
2: Yeah, and basically this is just a guess because we don't know for sure. But it appears as though we are about 12 that probably not more than 18 months away from volume production of the of the 4680. Okay. Um, now at the same time we we are actually trying to have our our cell supply partners ramp up. Their supply as much as possible. So this is not uh, something that is to the exclusion of suppliers. It is in, in conjunction with suppliers. Um, so yeah. we're, you know, we're, we want to be super clear about that. This is not about replacing suppliers. It is about supplementing, uh, the suppliers. So, um, we have a very strong partnership with, with CATL, with Panasonic and LG. Um, and we would, our request to our, um, strategic partners for self supply is please make as uh, please supply us with as as much as you possibly can. Um, pro- provided the, the price is affordable, we will buy uh, everything that they can make.
6: Yeah, it. yeah, and specific to that, we've we're on track to more than double the supplier capacity over the next 13. Yeah, we,
2: we, we exactly we, we do expect suppliers willing to perceive double the cell output next year versus this
3: year
6: yeah
3: okay and i had a quick follow-up on um, um maybe zach for you on your energy business so i understand uh like the negative gross margin with uh solar roof uh ran but i was wondering you know what do gross margin look like there when you look at the storage business and where you, your, what's your ambition in terms of gross margin in, a, uh, in that business? As I guess it's going to grow uh, to grow in the mix in a, in coming years. So it's uh, it's important for long term modeling.
4: Yeah, we're, we're seeing yeah. a lot
3: of. Oh.
2: Uh, uh, we're aiming for comparable margins in storage as in as in vehicle. Um, but, but it is important to bear in mind that vehicle is more mature than the storage. So uh, we, we already are at good margins with the Powerwall, um, but some additional work is needed for the mega Pack to achieve good margins.
6: Yeah. Drew, what do you think?
0: Thank you. Yeah.
6: yeah I, I, sorry. Just jumping in, Elon. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Uh, Powerwall is mature. We've been producing. Powerwall 2 for three years now, and, and we're at good margins there. But Mega Pack has more room to go to achieve our targets.
2: But we, have a, we have a clear runway for improving the, the cost for the megawatt hour of the Mega Pack.
1: Absolutely. Yes, we do. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please.
0: From Rod, from Rod Lackey with Wolf Research. Please go ahead.
7: Hi, everybody. Um, I was hoping maybe you just first you could talk a little bit about um, how you're thinking about the rollout of version 9 of FSD and uh, the transition to the subscription model. It sounds like some, some of this is about to roll out next month. I'm not sure if that's the subscription model, but uh, maybe you could just uh, spend a little time talking about how impactful you expect that to be.
2: So go
4: ahead, guys. Yeah, we're working on um, getting FSD subscription out. Uh, There's a couple of internal technical dependencies, but from a business model perspective, that's aligned. And uh, we're hoping to roll that out soon. The the key thing that I say here, um, there's a lot of potential for recurring revenue based on an FSD subscription. Um, The... If you look at the size of our fleet and you look at the number of customers uh, who did not purchase FSD up front or on a lease and maybe want to experiment with FSD, this is a great option for them. Um, you know, One of the things we'll need to keep an eye on is a potential transition from cash purchases of FSD subscription over to or cash purchases of FSD who may move over to FSD subscription. And so there could be a period of time in which you know, cash reduces in the near term, and then as the portfolio of subscription customers builds up, then that becomes um, a pretty strong business for us over time. Uh, but we're hoping to get this launched pretty soon, and um, and see what the response is to it.
7: Okay, uh, great. And um, was hoping, Zach, maybe you can just talk a little bit about OpEx. Um, there was a noticeable increase, e- even excluding uh, SBC. Uh, obviously a lot going on this quarter, but can you maybe just talk a little bit about how we should be thinking about that uh, going forward?
4: Sure. Um, On the R&D side, you know, what we're seeing, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, is um, kind of a convergence of a series of programs that are happening. And and our R&D opex spend kind of correlates to where we are in the product life cycle on different programs. And so we're, you know, kind of at the tail end of investments in uh, what we call internally Palladium, which is the new Model S and Model X. And, uh, and so we expect that to decrease over time, but uh, it was high in Q1 uh, for a lot of the reasons that Elon had mentioned. You know, we're also getting very heavy into 4680 development that Drew and team are working on and the associated structural battery pack that goes along with that. And so these are new technologies, uh, not only new to Tesla, but new to the industry. And so we're investing heavily there on an R&D side to work out those kinks. And, you know, spend along, along in those areas, you know, should continue over time as we continue to work through the development cycle of those. Um, and then I also mentioned, you know, Elon talked a bit about, you know, Dojo and the, and the potential there. So from neural net investments and custom silicon investments, these continue to be areas that we spend on and make investments in. Um, on the SG&A side, uh, you know, the business is pivoting very quickly to be global. And uh, China is ramping quite quickly and, and we're trying to uh, make sure that we are staying ahead of the volume so that we have the right sales capacity, store capacity there, uh, local investments in IT and others to manage the growth such that as the growth comes, the execution challenges are smaller than maybe in similar periods of growth that we've seen in the past. And uh, and so we're making investments there ahead of the growth and, and overall. As we look at OPEX as a percentage of revenue over the course of the year, we do expect to see a substantial drop from 2020 to 2021 as the volumes in the latter part of the year pick up.
1: Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please.
4: Thank you. From
0: Dan Levy with Credit Suisse. Your line is open.
8: Hi. Uh, good evening. Thanks. Um, two, two questions. Uh, One is is on COGS. I think we've gotten from Battery Day a pretty good feel about the potential for COGS reduction related to powertrain, but I'd like to get a sense of the path to reducing COGS x powertrain is you'd still need a meaningful reduction on that front uh, to make the math work on a $25,000 vehicle. So what levers do you have to reducing your cost x powertrain? Is it just more scale, better supplier pricing? Or is it just based on ongoing cost reductions? Uh,
2: sure. I mean, I think uh, all the above.
5: Yeah. I mean, I, on, on the on the vehicle side, there's plenty of opportunity as well. Obviously, building a car like a Model S is quite complex and has various moving parts, Model 3 and Model Y were steps of improvement in that. But when you look at some of the other advancements that we're including in the Model Y factories into Austin and Berlin, uh, we've reduced the body part count by as much as 60% and the part cost money. So, um, we continue to find optimizations there as well as we get economies of scale when we start to talk about the volumes we're considering worldwide with four factories building the same vehicle. Um, so, both of those things uh, on the vehicle side will improve our cogs as well and, and the powertrain continues to be integrated into that.
8: Great. And then just related, you know, as we see uh, Berlin and and Austin ramp, I'd I'd like to just get a sense on the comparison of Fremont versus the new capacity, obviously Fremont non-optimized because you bought, uh, you know, the old Numi facility, you had to retrofit that to your needs. So maybe you can give us a sense of how uh, your new capacity is going to differ versus Fremont what are the areas that you have efficiencies that you previously didn't have? And maybe, you know, how much does that add up to uh, improved COGS uh, over time to help you achieve that $25,000 vehicle?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't think we don't want to talk too much about um, future product development. Uh, the, 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 earnings schools are not, not the right place for, um, to make 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 major park announcements. So it's, yeah, we, we'll get there. But we'll we'll talk about it later.
1: Well, all right. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, this is all the time we have for today. Thank you very much for dialing in and for listening. And we'll speak to you again in about three months. Thank you. Right. Thanks, everyone.
0: This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Tesla First Quarter 2021 results and Q&A website. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the presentation, there will be a question and answer session. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I will now hand the conference over to your speaker today, Martin Vieca, Senior Director of Investor Relations.
1: Uh, Thank you, Carmen, and good afternoon, everyone. welcome to Tesla's first quarter 2021 Q&A webcast. I'm joined today by Elon Musk, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q1 results were announced at about 1 p.m. Pacific time in the update deck we published at the same link as this webcast. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the question and answer portion of today's call, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please press star one now if you would like to join the question queue. But before we jump into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon?
2: Uh, Great, thank you. Um, So Q1 2021 was a record quarter on many levels. Uh, Tesla achieved uh, record production, deliveries, and surpassed a billion dollars in non-GAAP net income for the first time. Uh, and we've seen a real shift in customer perception of electric vehicles, uh, and our demand is the best we've, we've ever seen. So this is, um, to be frank, we've, we're used to seeing a reduction in demand in the first quarter, uh, and we saw an increase in demand. Uh, this is, that, that exceeded the, the normal, uh, seasonal, uh, reduction in demand in Q1. Um, so, um, Model 3 became the best-selling mid premium stand. Uh, in the world, in fact, it, I should say the, the best selling uh, luxury sedan of any kind uh, in the world. The, the BMW 3 series was for the longest time the best selling premium sedan. Uh, it's been exceeded by the Tesla Model 3. And this is only three and a half years into production and with just two factories. Um, mm. For Model 3 to be out, outselling its combustion engine competitors, I think this is quite remarkable. In the past couple of quarters, we delivered uh, roughly a quarter million Model 3s, so uh, but which translates to an annualized rate of half a million per year. Uh, when it comes to to Model Y, uh, we think Model Y will be the best-selling car or vehicle of any kind in the world, um, and probably next year. So um, I'm not 100% certain next year, but I think it's, it's quite likely. I'd say more likely than not that in 2022, Model Y is the best-selling car or truck of any kind in the world. Uh, then um, with regard to full self-driving, uh, full self-driving beta continues to make uh, great progress. But There's definitely one of the, I think one of the, the hardest technical problems that exists, uh, that's maybe ever existed. And uh, really in order to solve it, we, we, we basically need to solve a pretty significant part of of artificial intelligence, of specifically real world artificial intelligence, um, and that, that 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 sort of AI, the, the neural nets, needs to be compressed into a, a fairly small computer, a, a very efficient computer that we've designed, but nonetheless, you know, a small computer that's using on the order of seventy or eighty watts. Um, so this is think mean, a much harder problem than if you what do you say you know 10,000 computers in a, in a server room or something like that uh this this has got to fit into a smaller brain um and uh, this i think with with the elimination of radar we, we're finally getting rid of one of the the last um clutches radar was really uh it, it, it was making up for some of the shortfalls of vision but this is not good you actually just need vision to work and when vision works it works it, it, it works better than the best human because um, it's like having eight cameras it's like having eyes in the back of your head the sides of your head and and, and three eyes at different focal distances looking forward um, this is yeah you know, um, and, and processing it at a speed that is superhuman. This, there's, I, I no, there's no question in my mind that uh, with a pure vision solution, uh, we can make a car that is dramatically safer than uh, the average person. So, but, but it is a hard problem because we are actually solving something quite fundamental about artificial intelligence, We're, we're, we're we basically have to solve real-world vision AI. Um, and we are. Um, and key to solving this is also having just a massive data set. So, um, just having, um, well over a million cars on the road, uh, that are, that are collecting data from, uh, very sort of corner case, rare situations, um, you know, sort of like, uh, so many weird things in the world, like, like like a, you know, a, a truck carrying a truck, uh, or. Um, you, know, a, um, you know, a a car with a with a one example is a, a car an actual example, a car with a kayak on the roof, where the kayak has a little uh, a little weight dangling from the front of the kayak in front of the car, um, and and yet the car must ignore this uh, and just just look at the road, um, so. It's really quite quite tricky, um, but I am I am highly confident that we will get this done. So, yes, Uh, this this quarter, and I think we'll continue to see that a little bit in Q two and Q three. So Q Q one was was had some of the most difficult supply chain challenges that we've ever experienced in the life of Tesla. insane difficulties with uh, with supply chains, uh, with with parts of, of, over the whole range of parts um obviously people have heard about the the, the chip shortage this is a this is a huge problem um, but then you know in, in addition to that for, for example we we um uh, we had quite a bit of difficulty scale scaling driving our production in china um uh, because we were unable to get, uh, critical engineers there because of, of COVID quarantine restrictions. So, uh, which meant that Tesla Worldwide was dependent on drive units, uh, made at our factory in Nevada, in Nevada. Um, so that, that was a very challenging situation. I think we we're mostly out of that particular problem, but that's just, those that are just two of, of many challenges. So the t- team has really did, done an incredible job dealing with uh, really severe supply chain shortages. Um, so, let's see with respect to the Model S and X, um, there, there were more challenges than expected in uh, developing the uh, Plaid Model S, so what's called the, the, the Palladium program, um, which is the, the new version of Model S and X, which has a revised interior um, and a new battery pack and new drive units, uh, and new internal electronics. Um, and, and has, for example, a a PlayStation 5 level uh infotainment system. Um, there's just a a lot of a lot of issues encountered um, ensuring that the new factory was as we'll super say was, was quite hard because we're working more energy in a smaller space. Uh, so it took quite a bit of uh, of uh, development to ensure that the battery of, of the new SX uh, is safe, um, and, and we're trying to get get all the details in the cars slowly uh, for the past few months, but we're we're just stacking them up in the yard and um, and, and and just. Making refinements to the cars that we've built. Um, but we do expect um, to ramp uh, Model S production and start delivering them probably uh, next month. Um, so, um, and, and then to be in sort of fairly high volume production for the S in, in Q3 uh, and to start delivering Model X in Q3 as well. So, um, I think as we as we ramp up, I think probably the demand for the new SX will be quite high. Um, so, it should really just gonna be a question of ramping supply chain and in, internal production processes. So, probably, oh, we're, we're like we're, we're gonna aim to produce over two thousand SX per week. Um, perhaps you know if, if we get lucky, upwards of, of twenty four hundred or twenty five hundred. Um, this, this, again, is contingent on global supply chain issues, which are just a lot of factors outside of our control here. But but I, I do think we, these things will get sold, so it's just a matter of time, and and then we'll be doing well over 2,000 uh, SX per week. Um, and it's, it's a great car. It, it actually costs us less to produce, a little bit less to produce, um, but it is a, a superior product. So, in conclusion, there's, there's a lot to be excited about in 2021 and 22. Um, we're building factories as quickly, quickly as we can. Uh, both Texas and Berlin are, are progressing well, and um, we expect to have um, initial limited production from those factories this year, uh, and volume production from Texas and Berlin next year. Um, at the same time, we're c- continuing to ramp production of Model Y in Fremont and uh, in Shanghai. In the background, we're continuing work, development work on the. Semi-Cybertruck, uh, the Roadster, and other products. Uh, thanks uh, to everyone at Tesla who made us here a, a huge success. Uh,
4: now, on to questions.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, we have some remarks from Zachary Kirkhorn as well.
4: Okay. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Thanks, Elon. So congratulations to the Tesla team on breaking multiple records in the first quarter of 21, as Elon had mentioned. Which is typically the most difficult of the year for many reasons. To summarize the quarter, I think it's best understood by three key items. First, we successfully launched and began the ramp of Model Y in Shanghai, achieving positive gross margin in the first quarter of production and receiving a great reception from the market. Second, as Elon mentioned, although we began the production process for the Model S during the quarter, we had not yet begun customer deliveries. The reduction in Model S and X deliveries from Q4 to Q1 were a meaningful headwind to free cash flows and profit generation. For example, we incurred an estimated $200 million of direct P&L impact relating to this program in Q1, the majority of which is reflected in COGS, and that's before even considering the impact of lost revenue and profits as a result of the transition. And as as Elon mentioned, we expect the first deliveries to begin shortly. Third, as we continue to work through the instability of the global supply chain, particularly around semiconductors and port capacities. While the Tesla team in partnership with our suppliers did tremendous work keeping our factories running, we did experience high expedite costs in the quarter and they were also higher than they were in Q4 with some minor interruptions to production over the course of the quarter. But we believe that this landscape is improving, but it does remain difficult and it's an evolving situation. If we double-click within Net Income, auto gross margin, excluding credits, improves sequentially and year over year. This is in spite of the cost mentions for SNX and expedites and a reduction in global ASPs, as our cost structure as a company is reducing at an even faster pace. So, as we look out over the course of the year, we feel optimistic about our gross margin strength, uh, particularly as some of these headwinds we're experiencing start to be resolved. On services and other margins, these have recovered and are trending towards profitability, aided by strength in the used car business, operational improvements in service, and additional service revenue opportunities that help absorb fixed overheads. On energy growth margins, these remained negative for a second quarter. This is driven by solar roof-related ramp costs and winter seasonality in the lease BPA business. Uh, We continue to manage through a multi-quarter backlog on Powerwall We're working as fast as we can to increase production, and this will aid in profitability of this business as those volumes increase. Uh, On operating expenses, these increased for Q1, uh, which is driven by our investments in technology and growth. In particular, for R&D, this includes the structural battery pack and 4680 cells, uh, investments in the new SNX, and um, our neural net and silicon investments. On the SGNA side, we're setting up infrastructure and support for both China and EMEA in anticipation of volume to come there. And as I've said before, our plans show that we remain on track for sustained industry-leading operating margins. Uh, double-clicking on, on cash flows, we continue to generate positive free cash flows, and this was despite the significant working capital headwinds from FNX. Additionally, we are making progress reducing various forms of debt. We also invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin during the quarter, then trimmed our position by 10%, which contributed to a small gain in our Q1 financials. Taking a step back, we've generated $8 billion in operating cash flows and $4 billion in free cash flows over the fa- past four quarters. As we look forward, uh, our plans remain unchanged for long-term growth of 50% annually, and we believe we're on track to exceed that this year as we guided to last quarter. Uh, Global demand remains meaningfully higher than production levels, and so we're driving as as fast as we can to increase our production rates. As we think about Q2 and Q3, these quarters should largely be driven by execution on SNX as we've discussed, continued ramp of Model Y in Shanghai, and the associated cost reductions of these programs. Um, And we expect profitability and cash generation to evolve over the course of the year in line with those improvements. And then, as we get towards the end of the year, our story will pivot towards the launch and ramp of our newest factories in Austin and Berlin. So there's certainly no shortage of exciting things for us to work on and look forward to. Uh, Thank you, and we'll open it up for questions.
1: Thank you very much. And we'll first take retail questions from, uh, say, a website. The first question is, how is Dojo coming along? Could Dojo unlock an AWS-like business line for Tesla over the next few years?
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. So, you know, with, with respect to so Sorry,
2: sorry that got, my apologies, I was on mute. <laughs>
4: oh, okay. go ahead, Elon. Um,
2: so, um, yeah, I was just basically saying that uh, the it, although, like, right now, people think of Tesla as... A lot of people think Tesla's a car company or perhaps an energy company. Um, I think long-term people will think of Tesla as much as an AI robotics company as we are a car company or an energy company. Um, I think we are developing one of the strongest hardware and software AI teams in the world. Um, Certainly, we we, appear to be be able to do uh, things with full self-driving that that others uh, cannot. So, um, and if you look at the evolution of of what technologies we developed, um, we developed them in order to solve the problem of self-driving, so we, we we couldn't find a powerful enough neural net inference a computer. So we designed and and built our own. Um, the the software out there was was, was uh, really quite primitive for this task. And so we built a team from scratch um, and um, and have been developing what we think is probably the most advanced real world, uh, AI in the world. Um, and then it sort of makes sense that this is kind of what needs to happen because the, the road system is designed for a neural net computer. Our brain, our brain is a neural net computer. Uh, and it's designed the, the entire road system is designed for vision with neural, with a neural net computer, which is because it's designed for eyes and a brain. Um, and so. If you have a system which has very good eyes, uh, you can see in all directions at once, you can see three focal points ahead or forward, uh, but it never gets tired, it's never t- sort of texting, um, it has redundancy, um, and its reaction time is superhuman, then it seems pretty obvious that, that such a system would achieve an extremely high level of safety bar in excess of the average person. So that's that's what what, what we're doing. Um, then Dojo is kind of the training part of that. So um, because we're, we're we have over a million cars, and you know perhaps you know next year we'll have two million cars in active use, um, providing vast amounts of video training data that then needs to be digested by by a very powerful training system. And currently. We use, uh, it's Tesla training software. So We have a lot of, we develop a lot of training software, uh, a lot of uh, labeling software to do, um, to so be able to do, uh, surround video labeling, uh, which is quite tricky. Um, this means all eight cameras simultaneously at 36 frames a second per camera, uh, labeling video over time. Um, there wasn't any tool that existed for this, so we developed our own labeling tool. Then, taking it a step further, obviously the you know, the, the holy grail is auto labeling. So now we're we're getting quite good at auto labeling, where we do we do where, where that the trainers train the training system, um, and and then the system auto labels the, the data, and and then. The, the, label, the human labels just need to look at the labeling to confirm that it is correct, and perhaps make edits. And then every time an edit is made, that further trains the system. So it's kind of like a flywheel that's just sort of spinning up. Um, and, and really, the only way to do this is with vast amounts of video data. Um, so then we need to train this efficiently. So Dojo is really a uh, it is a supercomputer optimized for neural net training. Um, we think Sojo will be probably an order of magnitude more efficient on, a, on say, I'm not sure what the exact right metric is, but say per frame of video, uh, we think it'll be an order of magnitude more cost efficient in hardware and in uh, energy usage. Per frame of video compared to a GPU-based solution, or compared to the next best solution that we're aware of. Um, so then, then you know, possibly that could be used by others. Um, it does seem as though, over time, I mean, just as just an observation, I think basically just a fact that um, neural net-based computing or you know, you know uh, AI-based computing. Is a more and more of the compute stack. Um, we, we, conventional computing, computing perhaps heuristics-based uh, uh, computing, um, is still going to be important. Still going to be very important. Um, but uh, it, it, it'll become. But, but neural net will become a, a bigger and bigger portion of um, of compute. Uh, so. Anyway, um, that was a long story, but I think, yeah, probably others will want to use it, too, and we'll make it available.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, Let's go to the second question from uh, retail investors. Uh, The recent price changes on solar roof have been discouraging uh, for customers and investors. Could Tesla share more about solar roof challenges and if uh, the outlook has has changed at all, i.e., 1,000 roofs per week?
2: Yeah, first of all, I should say that the, the demand for the solar roof remains strong. So despite uh, raising the price, the demand is still, um, significantly in excess of our ability to, uh, to meet the demand to, to install the solar roofs. So production is going fine, but, but we are choked at the installation point. Um, we, we did find that we, we basically made some significant mistakes in, uh, in assessing the difficulty of certain roofs, but the complexity of roofs varies dramatically. Some roofs are, to be literally two or three times easier than other roofs. Um, so you just can't have a one size fits all situation. Uh, if a roof has a lot of protuberances, um, or if the roof, or, or if the roof, uh, sort of, uh, the core structure of the roof, uh, is, uh, is rotted out or is not, not strong enough to hold the solar roof, uh, then the the costs can be you know, two of can be double sometimes three times uh, what we what our initial quotes were um, so in, in those cases what we've obviously offered to do is to you know refund customers their deposit um, uh, and uh, but, but what we cannot do is is go and, and just lose a massive amount of money um, we, we just got to provide a refund of the of the deposit um, but but that's what is um, I think most important about the solar situation, which I tweeted about you know, this past, past week, is that we're shifting the whole uh, the whole sort of solar situation, so the solar power, wall, basically solar plus battery situation. To there's only one product, basically, or there's there's only one one configuration. Every house, we we, we will not sell a house solar without a power wall. Um, this, that solar could either be solar retrofit, you know, with conventional panels put on a roof, or it can be the Tesla solar glass roof. Uh, but in all cases, it will have the power wall 2. Technically, this, this is, it's actually power wall 2 uh, plus, if you will. Um, the, the plus refers to a higher peak power capability. Um, so uh, basically, all power walls made since roughly November of last year uh, have, um a lot more peak power capability than, uh, ri- than, than, than the specification on the website. Um, the, it, it they have about twice the, the, the power capability, roughly. It depends on how you count power, but, uh, about twice the, about twice the, the, the peak power and about, you know, oddly twice the, the, the steady state power of, of the specification on the website the energy is the same, but the power is, is roughly double. Um, and, uh, all the installations, uh, so all installations will have the power wall and the, uh, the difficulty of the installation will, will dramatically increase the, the difficulty of the, the, the installation will, will be, will be much less. It'll be much easier because, uh, the, the power from the, from the solar roof, solar glass roof, or the, the solar panels will only ever go directly into the power wall. And the power wall will only ever go between the utility mains, between the utility and the the main power panel of the the house. Uh, Which means you never need to touch the main circuit breakers of the house. You never need to touch the house circuit breakers. Effectively, almost every house therefore looks the same electrically instead of being a unique work of art and requiring uh, exceptional um, ability to rewire the main panel. So uh, th- th- this is extremely important for scalability. It's, th- it's the only way to do it, really. Um, and th- this also means that that every uh, solar power wall installation, that the, the, the house or apartment, whatever the case may be, uh, will be will be its own utility, and so even if all the lights go out in the neighborhood, you will still have power. So that that gives people energy security, um, and we can also, in working with the utilities, uh, use the power walls to to stabilize the overall grid. So let's say that there's a uh, like there was in Texas, there was there was a a peak power event and, and that peak power demand because the grid uh, lacked the ability to buffer the power, uh, they had to shut down power. The, the, there's no power, no power storage, no, no, good, no good point of power storage. However, with a whole bunch of, of power walls at houses, um, we can actually buffer the, 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 the power. So, uh, if, so if, if the grid needs more power, we can actually then, um, with the consent obviously of the homeowner and, the, and, and in partnership with the utility, uh, we we can then actually uh, release power onto the grid to take care of uh, peak power demands. So if effectively, the power walls can operate as a giant distributed utility. This is profound. I'm not sure how many people will actually understand this, but this is extremely profound and necessary because we are headed towards a world where, uh, as, as we were just talking about earlier, where people are moving towards electric vehicles. This will mean that the, the power needs, uh, in, in, at homes and businesses will increase significantly. We will, th- there will need to be a bunch more electricity coming somewhere. Um, in fact, if you go to full, full renew- renewable electricity, we need about three times as much electricity as we currently have. It, it, so, uh, we, we, these are rough numbers, but you roughly need twice, roughly need twice as much electricity if, if if all transport goes electric, and then you need three times as much electricity if all heating goes electric. So basically, this is a prosperous future, I think mean, both for, for Tesla and for the utilities. Because, and, and in fact, and this will, this will be very, if, if this is not done, the utilities will fail to serve their customers. They won't be able to do it. They won't be able to react to that stuff. Um, And we're gonna see more and more of, of what we see, see in California and Texas, of, of, of uh, people seeing brownouts and blackouts and the utilities not being able to respond because, the, because of the, there's a massive change going on with the transition to electric transport. And we're seeing more extreme weather events this is a recipe for disaster. Uh, so it is very important uh, to have uh, solar and batteries at the at the local level at the house. Uh, in addition, it is important to have uh, large battery storage at the utility level, um, so that uh, solar and wind, which are the main forms of renewable electricity, uh, can be that electricity can be stored because sometimes the wind doesn't blow, um, sometimes it blows a lot. Uh, Sometimes it blows too much and sometimes it doesn't blow enough. Uh, But if you have a battery, you can store the energy and provide the energy to the grid as needed. The same goes for solar because obviously the sun does not shine at night uh, and sometimes it is very cloudy. And so uh, by having uh, battery storage paired with solar and wind, this is the long-term solution to a sustainable energy future. Um, And as I said, this really needs to occur both at the local level and at the utility level. If it doesn't occur at the the local level, what will actually be required is a a massive increase in power lines, uh, in uh, power plants. So they have to put long distance distance and local power lines all over the place. They'll have to increase the size of the substations. Uh, It's a nightmare. This must occur. there, There must be solar plus battery. It's the only way. So,
1: Thank you very much. Uh, And the next retail question is, Master of Coin, can you tell us anything about Tesla's future plans in digital currency space, or when any such major developments might be revealed?
4: Sure. Thanks, Martin. Um, So, as I noted in our opening remarks, and we've announced previously, so Tesla did um, invest $1.5 billion into Bitcoin in Q1, and then we subsequently sold a 10% stake in that. We also allow customers to make uh, de- vehicle deposits and final vehicle uh, purchases using Bitcoin. And so where our, our Bitcoin story began, maybe just to share a little of the context here, um, Elon and I were looking for a place to store cash that wasn't being immediately used uh, try to get some level of return on this, but also preserve liquidity. You know, particularly as we look forward to the launch of Austin and Berlin, and uncertainty that's happening with semiconductors and uh, port capacity. Being able to access our cash very quickly is super important to us right now. And you know, there there aren't many traditional opportunities to do this, or at least that we found, and in talking to others that we could get good feedback on. Particularly with yields being so low, and without taking on additional risk or sacrificing liquidity. And um, and Bitcoin seemed at the time and and so far has proven to be uh, a good decision, uh, a good place to place some of our cash that's not immediately being used for daily operations or, or maybe not needed till the end of the year. And um, be able to get some return on that. And you know I, I think one of the key points that I want to make about our experiences in the digital currency space is that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic here. You know, we're certainly watching it very closely at Tesla, watching how the market develops, listening to what our customers are saying. But, you know, thinking about it from a corporate treasury perspective, we've been quite pleased with how much liquidity there is in in the Bitcoin market. So our, our ability to build our first position happened very quickly. Uh, when we did the sale later in March, we also were able to execute on that very quickly. And so as we think about kind of global liquidity for the business and risk management, uh, being able to get cash in and out of the markets is something that I think is exceptionally important for us. So we do believe long-term in the value of Bitcoin, so it is our intent to hold what we have long-term and continue to accumulate Bitcoin from uh, transactions from our customers as they purchase vehicles. You know, specifically with respect to things we may do, there are are things that we're constantly discussing. We're not planning to make any announcements here. We're watching this space closely. So when we're ready to make an announcement on this front, if there's one to come, you know, we'll certainly let you all know.
1: Thank you. Um, and the fourth question from uh, retail investors is, uh, does Tesla have any proactive plans to tackle mainstream media's imminent, massive, and uh, deceptive uh, clickbait headline uh, campaigns on safety of autopilot or FSD, uh, perhaps specialty PR job of some sort?
5: Uh, well, uh, I can, I'll can. i take this one, guys. From, from the safety side, I continue to say, uh, say if you want to. He is driving yeah, point and all. Cool. Go ahead, Elon. I, know, I think, if, if, please go ahead. Uh, it, it,
2: I think it's worth just uh, going through the facts of the uh, what. Uh, I mean, specifically, there there were uh, there was an article regarding um, a, a tragedy where, where uh, there was a high speed accident in, in Tesla that uh, and it was re- really just um, extremely deceptive. Uh, media pra- practices where it was claimed to be autopilot, with this is completely false, uh, and those journalists should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, please go ahead, Lars.
5: Yeah, thanks, Elon. So I was just saying we're committed to safety in all our designs, and that's you know number one in what we do here. Um, regarding the crash in Houston specifically, we work directly with uh, the local authorities, NTSB, and NTSO wherever applicable, and whenever they reach out to us for help directly on the engineering level and whatever else we can support. Um, in that vein, we did a, a, a study with them uh, over the past week um, to understand what happened in that particular crash. And what we've learned from that uh, effort was that AutoSteer did not and could not engage on the road condition that uh, as it was designed. Uh, our adaptive cruise control only engaged when a driver was buckled and above five miles per hour. Um, and it only accelerated to 30 miles per hour with the distance um, uh, before the car crashed. Um, as well, uh, adaptive cruise control disengaged the car slowly to complete to a stop uh, when the driver's seatbelt was unbuckled. Through further investigation of the vehicle and uh, accident remains, um, we inspected the car with NTSB and NHTSA and the local police and were able to find that the steering wheel was indeed deformed, so there must, leading to the likelihood that someone was in the dri- driver's seat at the time of the crash, and all seatbelts post-crash were found to be unbuckled. Um, we were unable to recover the data from the the, uh, data, uh, the SD card at the time of impact, but the local authorities are working on doing that, and we await their report. Um, as I said, we we continue to hold safety in a higher regard and and and, and um, look to improve our products in the future uh, through this kind of data and other uh, information from the field.
1: Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's go to the next question from Institutional Investors. Uh, the first question is, uh, proponents of alternative grid storage technologies claim that lithium-ion is unsuited for long-term storage at scale due to vampire drain. Could 4680 uh, cells address this limitation? Is the limitation even <laughs> relevant for charging the energy equation? Um, uh,
6: yeah. I, just let me yep. jump in on the vampire dra- yeah. drain. That's definitely not the issue. A uh, good uh, lithium-ion cell self-discharges less than 0.001% of its energy per day, so it, it has that vampire drain is maybe a non sequitur.
2: So no,
6: yeah. As, as mythical as vampires.
7: Yeah,
6: <laughs> yeah. I think I think the challenge with seasonal storage is your value proposition drops from hundreds of useful. Full cycles per day, per year to less than maybe ten, or maybe even less than five cycles per year. Um, so it's just a different type of technology, you know, altogether that would make sense, given that it's more than an order of magnitude different use case. Yeah, I mean, we've got a long way to go before we're, we're dealing
2: with seasonal technology uh, issues, um, but but certainly a way to deal with seasonal technology. Uh, would be to, um, have, uh, wind and solar, um, on the side of, of more, more subtly latitudes, um, and, and, uh, but, but, then across, uh, a variety of longitudes. So essentially, like let's say in the U.S., for example, if there was, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you'll understand that you, you can actually power the entire United States with just sort of a hundred roughly a, a hundred mile by hundred mile grid of solar. Um th- sometimes people don't don't quite understand like well how much solar is needed to power the United States. Almost almost nothing of the of the surface required the United States. And this is true of almost any country in the world. Um, the solar incidence is a gigawatt per square kilometer. This is insane. Uh, in fact if you took the clear area, just the, the area, saying for nuclear power plants, the area that is considered not usable uh, because a nuclear power plant is there, in most cases, if you just put solar there, it would generate more power than, in, than the nuclear power plant. This is because they typically have pretty wide clear areas. Um, so, uh, it really, so, so and um, if you have Say 25% efficient solar panels, um, and and then those are 80% efficient in in how they're laid out. You're going to do about 200 megawatts per square kilometer. Uh, Therefore, you know, five square kilometers is a gigawatt, which might be a typical sort of power plant. Um, It's it's really not much area at all, and a lot of places can have wind and solar same place. So. Um, anyway, it's, it's entirely possible to power all of Earth with a small percentage of Earth's area. Um, and then to transmit that power uh, through um, high voltage DC lines, no new technology, no, no uh, you don't need like, um, you know, room temperature superconductors. This is a total, also, another myth. Room temperature superconductors uh, almost irrelevant, in my opinion, almost irrelevant. <laughs> um, Low-cost, long-distance power lines using copper uh, or aluminum, or that's very important. Um, so heating is I squared R. So that's current squared times time resistance. So as you increase voltage, uh, you can drop the current dramatically and drop the heating dramatically to the point where it is... Uh, of, of minor relevance, like maybe you lose five to seven percent uh, with a high voltage DC power line, something like that. Um, so I want to be clear no physics is necessary, no new materials are necessary. We just need to scale this thing up. We have the technologies exist today to to solve renewable energy. And some of the will say, well, why don't we do it? That's because the energy basis of the earth is gigantic, super mega, insanely gigantic. So you can't just go and do a zillion terawatts overnight. You've got to build the, the production capacity for the cells, uh, for the battery cells, for the solar cells. You've got to put that into vehicles, you've got to put that into stationary storage packs, you've got to put that into solar panels and solar glass roofs, and you've got to deploy all this thing, all, all this stuff. But, but it is certainly the case that we can accelerate this. Um, and we should try to accelerate it. Um, and uh, the, the, the right thing to do, I think, from an economic standpoint, and I think almost any economist would agree, is to have a common tax, um, just as we have a tax on um, cigarettes and alcohol, uh, which we think are more likely to be bad than good, and we, we tend to tax fruit, fruit and vegetables less. Well, the same should be true. We should We should tax energy That we think is probably bad and support energy think is probably good, just like sugar and alcohol versus fruits and vegetables. Um, it's just common sense. Um, and, uh, you know, but I guess on the plus side, I'm not suggesting anyone be complacent, but sustainable energy, renewable energy will be solved. It is being solved, but it matters how fast we solve it. And if we solve it faster, that's better for the world. Thank you very much. There's no question in my mind whatsoever that the energy storage problem can be solved with lithium-ion batteries, zero. I want to be clear, zero. Um, I, I think the bias will tend to be uh, towards um, iron-based uh, lithium-ion cells. When people say lithium-ion, people think lithium must be a, a, a big constituent of the cells. It, it's, it's more like one to two percent of the cell is lithium. Um, the, the, the main part of the cell is the cathode. The, the main mass and cost in the cell is the cathode. For high-energy uh, cells, um, like for example, we, what we use in most uh, most cells have, have nickel-based lithium-ion cells, which have higher energy density, longer range than iron-based cells. However, stationary storage, uh, the energy density is not as important because um, it's just sitting on the ground. And so uh, I think the vast majority of stationary storage will be uh, iron, iron-based iron um, lithium-ion cells with an iron cap- iron, uh, iron phosphate cathode, technically. But I think the phosphate part is unnecessary. It's really just iron or nickel. Um, unnecessary in the terminology. Just, just think of it as iron or nickel. Uh, and this there's an, an insane amount of iron in the world. Uh, more iron than we've could possibly use, uh, and there's also more lithium than we could possibly use. Basically, there is no shortage of anything whatsoever in iron phosphate lithium-ion cells.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, Let's go to the next question uh, from institutional investors, which is, uh, you've suggested that between a a 5x to 10x improvement is achievable in the automotive production versus the the first Model 3 line on the first uh, principles physics analysis. Uh, where does Berlin sit? Where does Berlin sit relative to that limit?
2: Oh, I, I think we're still we're still quite far away from it. Um, I mean, the, the, the thing to bear in mind with with production is, uh, for those who have ne- who've never done production, they just don't understand how insanely hard production is. Um, I, I, I want to really be very very emphatic here: prototypes. Reveal, they're child's play. Production is hard; it is very hard. Now you say production at at, at, very, at large scale with higher liability and low cost, insanely difficult. But what what Tesla achieved on the automotive side was not to create an electric car. The, the truly profound thing on the on the car side is that Tesla was the first American car company to achieve volume production of a car in a hundred years and not go bankrupt so this is this this I basically myself and many others at Tesla had to basically have several aneurysms to get this done it was it was so hard to have no idea so Anyway, and the thing about making a large complex manufactured object is, let's say you have, first order approximation, 10,000 unique items. If even one of those items is slow, that sets your weight. Just one. Doesn't matter how, can be, so trivial. We, we've had uh, production production stuff because of carpet in the trunk. we had production stuff because of USB cable at one point for the models the we literally raided every uh, electronics store in the bay area for 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 a few days there nobody could buy a usb cable in the bay area because we 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 went and bought them all to put them in the car um (laughs) literally and there's they're like hundreds of stories like that so anyway that's the solving that those constraints and And a a logistics problem that makes World War II look trivial. I'm not kidding. Like, the scale is insane. Um, You know, we're talking millions of cars, massive global supply chain, um, 50 countries, uh, dozens of regulatory regimes. Um, It's insane. (laughs) So,
1: yeah. Thank you. Uh, And the last question from institutional investor is, Master Plan Part 2 talks about an urban transport vehicle that is smaller than traditional bus with greater uh, aerial density achieved by removing the central aisle. Do you have any updates to share on this goal? Not this time. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so let's uh, move to analyst Q&A.
0: Thank you. First question is from Pierre Farrago with New Street Research. Your line is open.
3: Uh, hi guys, thanks a lot for taking my question. Um, I'd love to get actually an update on what you, you presented on the battery day. Uh, in the last six, seven months, I, won- I was wondering how much progress you've made Uh, On that front, first, in terms of process development, so how are things coming together on your pilot line? Are you getting to the kind of uh, production throughput you were aiming for? And and second, actually, on your production ramp. So I was wondering in in which sites you're ramping production capacity for the 4680 cell uh, and where you stand uh, on on ramping up that capacity as well. And I'll have a quick follow-up on energy as well, if that's possible. Well
2: um so we have the uh, and, and Drew, if add to this but uh we we have the 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 our small sort of pilot plant, which is still big by normal standards, expected to have like a ten gigawatt per year a gigawatt hour per year capability uh in um pretty much California. Um and uh we've made quite a few cells. Um we're not we're not quite yet at the point where we think the cells are re- reliable enough to be shipped in cars, um, but we're getting close to that point, um, and um, and then we've we're, we're already uh, you know uh, ordered um, most of the equipment for battery production uh, in Berlin, uh, and uh, and then and, and then much of it for Austin as well, um, so. We're really down to like the nitty gritty elements, um, but overall, I think we're still sort feel of quite optimistic about uh, this achieving volume production of the 4680 next year. Yeah,
6: thank you think? You. Okay. yeah. Thank you. Uh, just one thing I would add is there's been a lot of questions about uh, yield. Actually, I noticed people asking about that, and uh, you know, the yield progress has been really strong uh, every day. And we were really still in commissioning phase. Of, we were really still in commissioning phase with most of the tools, uh, to the point where we're confident that the yield trajectory aligns with our internal cost projections. Um, we did talk about yield also at Battery Day, which is one of the reasons why it's, it's useful to check in on that. Um, you know, it takes a while, as Elon just mentioned, to go from uh, prototype to production, and it's not just parts; it's processes, it's equipment. Um, but as we've matured, does Piece of the process, the process equipment, we've we've gotten to where we need to be on on the yield side.
2: Yeah, and basically, this is just a guess because we don't know for sure. But it appears as though we are about twelve, that probably not more than eighteen months away from volume production of the of the forty six eighty. Now, at the same time, we we are actually trying to have our our cell supply partners ramp up. Their supply as much as possible, so this is not uh, something that is to the exclusion of suppliers it is in, in conjunction with suppliers um, so yeah. we're you know we're, we want to be super clear about that this is not about replacing suppliers it is about supplementing uh, the suppliers so um, we have a very strong partnership with with CATL with Panasonic and LG um, and we would our request to our um, strategic partners for sales supply is, please make as, uh, please supply us with as as much as you possibly can. Um, pro- provided the, the price is affordable, we will buy uh, everything that they can make.
6: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And specific to that, we've, we're on track to more than double the supplier capacity over the next 15 Yeah, we, we,
2: we, exactly. we, we do expect from suppliers willing to perceive double the cell output next year versus this year
6: yeah
3: okay and i had a quick follow-up on um, um maybe zach for you on your energy business so i understand uh like the negative gross margin with uh solar roof uh ran but i was wondering you know what do gross margin look like there when you look at the storage business and where are you, your, what's your ambition in terms of gross margin in, a, uh, in that business as I guess it's going to grow, uh, to grow in the mix in, uh, in coming years. So it's, uh, it's important for long-term modeling.
4: Yeah. We're, we're seeing yeah. a lot of, oh. uh,
3: uh,
2: yeah. we're, we're aiming for comparable margins in storage as in, as in vehicle. Um, but, but it is important to bear in mind that vehicle is more mature than the storage. So uh, we, we already are at good margins with the Powerwall, um, but some additional work is needed for the mega pack to achieve good margins.
6: Yeah. Drew, what do you think?
0: Thank you. Yeah.
6: yeah I, I, sorry. Just jumping in, Elon. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Uh, Powerwall is mature. We've been producing. Powerwall, Two for three years now, and, and we're at good margins there, but Megapack has more room to go to achieve our targets.
2: But we, have a, we have a clear runway for improving the, the cost for the megawatt hour of the Megapack.
1: Absolutely. Yes, we do. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please.
0: From Rod, from Rod Lackey with Wolf Research. Please
7: go ahead. Hi, everybody. Um, I was hoping maybe just first you could talk a little bit about um, how you're thinking about the rollout of version 9 of FSD and uh, the transition to the subscription model. It sounds like some some of this is about to roll out next month. I'm not sure if that's the subscription model, but uh, maybe you could just uh, spend a little time talking about how impactful you expect that to be.
2: So go
4: go ahead, guys. Yeah, we're working on um, getting FSD subscription out. Uh, the, there's a couple of internal technical dependencies, but from a business model perspective, that's aligned, and uh, we're hoping to roll that out soon. the The key thing that I say here: um, th- there's a lot of potential for recurring revenue based on an FSD subscription. Um, the if you look at the size of our fleet and you look at the number of customers uh, who did not purchase FSD up front or on a lease and maybe want to experiment with FSD, this is a great option for them. Um, you know, One of the things we'll need to keep an eye on is a potential transition from cash purchases of FSD subscription over to – or cash purchases of FSD who may move over to FSD subscription. And so there could be a period of time in which – you know, cash reduces in the near term, and then as the portfolio of subscription customers builds up, then that becomes um, a pretty strong business for us over time. Uh, but we're hoping to get this launched pretty soon and um, and see what the response is to it.
7: Okay, uh, great. And I um, was hoping, Zach, maybe you can just talk a little bit about OPEX. Um, there was a noticeable increase, e- even excluding uh, SBC. Uh, obviously, a lot going on this quarter, but can you maybe just talk a little bit about how we should be thinking about that uh, going forward?
4: Sure um, on the r and d side, you know what we're seeing, as I mentioned in my opening remarks is um, kind of a convergence of a series of programs that are happening and, and our r and d opEx spend kind of correlates to where we are in the product life cycle on different programs. And so we're you know kind of at the tail end of investments in uh, what we call internally Palladium, which is the new Model S and Model X. And uh, and so we expect that to decrease over time, but uh, it was high in Q1 uh, for a lot of the reasons that Elon had mentioned. You know, We're also getting very heavy into 4680 development that Drew and team are working on and the associated structural battery pack that goes along with that. And so these are new technologies, uh, not only new to Tesla, but new to the industry. And so we're investing heavily there on an R&D side to work out those kinks. And, you know, spend along along in those areas, you know, should continue over time as we continue to work through the development cycle of those. Um, and then I also mentioned, you know, Elon talked a bit about, you know, Dojo and the, and the potential there. So from neural net investments and custom silicon investments, these continue to be areas that we spend on and make investments in. Um, on the SG&A side, uh, you know, the business is pivoting very quickly to be global. And uh, China is ramping quite quickly and and we're trying to uh, make sure that we are staying ahead of the volume so that we have the right sales capacity, store capacity there, uh, local investments in IT and others to manage the growth such that as the growth comes, the execution challenges are smaller than maybe in similar periods of growth that we've seen in the past. And uh, and so we're making investments there ahead of the growth And, and overall, As we look at OPEX as a percentage of revenue over the course of the year, we do expect to see a substantial drop from 2020 to 2021 as the volumes in the latter part of the year pick up.
1: Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please.
0: Thank you. From Dan Levy with Credit Suisse. Your line is open.
8: Hi. Uh, Good evening. Thanks. Um, Two two questions. one is, is on COGS. I think we've gotten from Battery Day a pretty good feel about the potential for COGS reduction related to powertrain, but I'd like to get a sense of the path to reducing COGS x powertrain. Is uh, you'd still need a meaningful reduction on that front uh, to make the math work on a $25,000 vehicle. So what levers do you have to reducing your cost x powertrain? Is it just more scale, better supplier pricing? or is it just based on ongoing cost reductions?
2: Uh, sure, I mean, I think uh, we'll be above.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, on, on, the, on the vehicle side, there's plenty of opportunity as well. Obviously, building a car like a Model S is quite complex and has various moving parts, Model 3 and Model Y, were steps of improvement in that. But when you look at some of the other advancements that we're including in the Model Y factories into Austin and Berlin, uh, we've reduced the body part count by as much as 60% and the part cost money. So um, we continue to find optimizations there as well as we get economies of scale when we start to talk about the volumes we're considering worldwide with four factories building the same vehicle. Um, so both of those things uh, on the vehicle side will improve our cogs as well, and, and the powertrain continues to be integrated into that.
8: Great. And then just related, you know, as we see, uh, Berlin and, and Austin Ramp, I'd, I'd like to just get a sense on the comparison of Fremont versus the new capacity. Obviously, Fremont non-optimized because you bought, uh, you know, the old NUMI facility. You had to retrofit that to your needs. So maybe you can give us a sense of how, uh, your new capacity is going to differ versus Fremont what are the areas that you have efficiencies that you previously didn't have? and Maybe, you know, how much does that add up to uh, improved cogs uh, over time to help you achieve that $25,000 vehicle?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't think we don't want to talk too much about um, future product development. Uh, the, the, the earnings call are not, not the right place for, um, Yes, make 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 major park announcements. So it's, yeah, we'll, we'll get there, but we'll we'll talk about it later.
1: Well, all right. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, this is all the time we have for today. Thank you very much for dialing in and for listening. And we'll speak to you again in about three months. Thank you. Right. Thanks, everyone.
0: This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.